Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I don't know why, but there are some uh, videos that I have seen, commercials, public service announcements that I've seen that have stuck in my head for many, many, many years. I can still sing the song from the electric bee about we gotta be cool with chords, my friend. We gotta be cool with chords. Public service announcements uh, were like commercials, but they were broadcast by network television for free to raise awareness, change attitudes, and maybe change behaviors. One of the biggest pictures in, uh, in my mind of a public service announcement is this star that goes across the screen and it says, the more you know. I don't know if you remember that before, but the more you know, which replaced, which replaced one to grow on in 1989. But for some reason, I remember this. You know, it, it's one to grow on, the more you know, and knowing is half the battle. There's crime dog McGruff, only you can take a bite out of crime, right? There's Smokey the Bear, only you can prevent forest fires, you get it. Um, friends don't let friends drive drunk. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. You've seen these public service announcements. They stick with you. They're, they're short. Um, they're quick. They uh, have some kind of an emotional appeal, and they're designed to change our behavior and change our attitude. The worst one I saw, uh, just saw recently, was a commercial in the UK. We don't even have it here in the United States about do not text and drive, and it was horribly graphic um, in the video of three teenagers uh, dying in a car wreck, as well as the people they hit head on because they were texting and driving. Horribly graphic. But you know what? It, it, it really will change your behavior. Today, when we look in the Bible, we're going to see, we're going to see a PSA from Paul, a public service announcement, prayer, share, and announce that we need to do as Christians to be part of the purpose of church. And it, it will just start us on fulfilling the purpose of church when we look at Romans chapter 1, Paul's public service announcement to us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I, I am so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit to guide our lives and draw us close to you, grow our faith. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I ask now that you would allow that Holy Spirit to transform us by the power of the word. And I just ask that you would not only allow the Holy Spirit to grow us and transform us and change us to be more like Christ, but Lord, would you open up our minds to see clearly what the word explains to us. Lord, and with that understanding, would you allow our, our attitude and behaviors to change as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are lots of definitions out there on how we should do church and what we should do with church. And that's part of the mission. That's part of what we teach as church. Um, we have a mission on our walls outside that we are to take the gospel to all people, to transform hearts to be like Christ, and train disciples to make disciples. But that's the what we do. We need a reason why to do this. 
I just met with a family that uh, they asked me to do the funeral service for their family member over the weekend. And uh, they are not connected with a church. They're not going to church because they have no why to go. They've been, and the activities seem like they had no point to them, even though they were all good activities. We need to know the why. We need to know why we go to church. We need to know why we are the church, and we need to know why we act like the church. We believe that every single person in our community and in our family deserves to know God. We believe every person needs to have an opportunity to know God, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and changed in character to be like Christ, to experience forgiveness and love and have eternal significance. We believe every person deserves, needs the opportunity to know God, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, changed in character to be like Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness and love, and have eternal significance. We believe every person deserves that, or at least have the opportunity to to know that. And that happens through the organization, the people, the body of Christ called the church. Joe Ellis, professor at Cincinnati Bible Seminary, gave six reasons of what the church is for existence. And he didn't leave out the why. Why do we gather together? Why do we do these six things? Well, one of the things is we are a community, what we are, we're a community of believers in faith around Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior, master and rescuer. We are a community of faith that is built on the Bible as God's word for both our rule and practice. We're a community of faith led by elders and served by deacons where everyone participates in the mission for it to be effective. We're a community of faith that is two-part. One part, reach the world in evangelism, and the second part, nurture the believers that attend. We want to announce and activate. We want to tell and train. We're a believing group that practices the response of baptism to the good news of Jesus Christ, and weekly we participate in communion to continue to seal the oath we took in baptism. This is what we are, but why is so important? My brothers at least need to have the opportunity to know who God is, to meet Jesus, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that only happens via the church. We believe everybody should have that opportunity. And if we could give a public service announcement that would change our attitude and behavior, we'll start, we'll start being the church for other people. We'll start answering the why church attendance is so important. Why being in a community of faith is so important. While being present for somebody else is so important. If we can remember the why. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing to a group of house churches set up in the 
heart of the Roman Empire. He's never visited them before, and it's made up of, of Jewish people who have become Christ followers and Gentile people who have become Christ followers. It's made up of poor and rich, slave and free, homeowners and homeless. And he writes to them about their disunity, and he's trying to draw them together under unity in the gospel, and he wants, he wants to produce the how that goes with the why. Why? Well, every person deserves to know God. And that happens to the church. Every person deserves to be transformed by the at least the option of being transformed by the Holy Spirit with love and forgiveness. Their character changed from the inside out. But how is where Paul starts us in Romans chapter 1. And this is our PSA. In Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, moving to verse 17, we're going to read about prayer. We're going to read about praying. We're going to read about sharing, and we're going to read about announcing. Pray, share, and announce. This is our PSA. If we do these things, follow these examples, and hopefully today as we look at this, it'll change our attitude and behavior to do them more, we will start being the church instead of just attending church, right? This is important. We, we do gather together, and it's really important, but there's a reason why we gather together, and not just to gather together. Here's what Paul says to these Romans who have become Christians. He's never met them before, but he writes in this letter. First, verse 8 of chapter 1, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In there, we have three action verbs. Pray, share, and announce. The first is pray. Prayer happens in two parts. Paul is seeing that he has gratitude for the other believers, and he asks God to open the way for him to come to Rome. Prayer always has two parts. It's, it's both private and and it should be corporate, public, done together. And it, it should, when we are praying and consistent in our prayer, it should transform us on the inside. And I don't know how this works. Our prayer moves the hand of God. It's crazy to me that he has given me that power to ask anything of Jesus Christ, and he will do it for me. Like, I can't understand that. It moves the hand of God. My little old prayer, our praying together, it should transform us and move the hand of God. Paul starts off with gratitude, and he says, I thank my God for you. 
And your faith is being spread all, your, uh, news of your faith is being spread all over the world. He is so grateful. He's so grateful when he prays for the church in Rome, the people, the Christians that he has never met. And then he asks God, I've been asking God to move, prepare a way so I can get there to you as well. I think this is a good example of how we maybe should start praying for each other. Remembering that it's two-part, that when we pray, it should transform us and it moves the hand of God. Like we should ask God to make ways. We should pray recognizing that we should have private prayer where nobody knows about. We have a prayer closet, a place that we go to. It doesn't have to be inside a closet. A place that we go to where we pray in secret. And we should do this at regular intervals. That's what Paul means when he says, I pray for you all the time in, in chapter one here. Well, he's talking about at regular, consistent intervals, he's praying for the church at Rome. This is how we should act. But we should also pray together. I love how Cheryl our children's minister, has taught our students a prayer acronym called TACOS, T-A-C-O-S-S. The students get together, and she teaches them and leads them in prayer to thank God and then adore God, but she teaches the kids because kids don't really recognize they concrete what adoration means, so she said applause for God. We praise God. And then she has a prayer of confession because even little kids sin. Then she prays for others. And then two S's on that taco. She prays for themselves. And they pray and they just wait in silence. I think that's a beautiful way to pray. It's not my favorite acronym for prayer. It's not the one I use most. The one I use most is called ACTS. A-C-T-S. Adoration for God. Applause for God. Confession. Thanksgiving. And then supplication means to ask. I think we should pray that prayer together. Pray that way together right now. We want to practice prayer. We want to practice just like Paul practiced, regular, consistent intervals where he has gratitude and he asks God to make a way. It's just the start of being the church. There's a couple of prayer groups that meet regularly. I know all of our small groups pray, but there is a couple of groups that just meet specifically for prayer. Usually, prayer groups are the smallest groups in the church. We got that backwards, right? Shouldn't our prayer groups and our prayer times be the largest groups in the church? There's a group that prays on Tuesday morning on Facebook. Believe it or not, there's about 20 people, hit or miss. We average about 12 or 15. 6 a.m. on Facebook, we pray every Tuesday, and we've been doing it for almost three years now. Every Tuesday morning, consistently showing up, praying for you. There's a prayer group that meets on Sunday morning around 8.15. And we're getting so big, we're going to have to move to a new room soon. We have six people. But we pray. We pray for the church service. We pray for each other. I think we ought to practice this together. Prayer is both private but should be public. Why don't we take a second and just start by praying silently in our seats together adoring God. Don't thank him for something. Just applaud him for who he is. Maybe you can think about how God set up a system where he can communicate to us who he is. Maybe you can adore him because he is the great communicator. Maybe you can start thinking about back to Genesis 1 where he puts all of creation chaos 
into order, day one through three, and then he provides the placement of the things that go into that ordered creation, day four through six. Maybe you can applaud him for being the creator. Maybe you can adore him because he is the way maker. Maybe you can adore him because he is the salvation giver. Maybe you can adore him because he is the good father who knows you and loves you. I think we ought to just take a moment and pray a prayer of adoration to yourself quietly and just praising for one reason about who he is. Let's just pray together. Father, we adore you as a church, as a people, a community of faith. We adore you because you are the Savior sender. Amen. I think we not to now go to God in confession. Just examine your own life this morning. Think about the things that... God told you, no, don't do, and you did them anyway. Or think about the things that God has told you to do, but you haven't done them. Both are sins, sins of commission or sins of omission. And you know, if we just examine for just a moment in silence, we start noticing places where we fall short of the glory of God, the standards he sets for us. He tells us to go to him in confession. And he, we don't go to him in confession for him to beat us up over it. We go to him in confession so that we can be relieved of that burden and recognize that Jesus Christ has covered over our sin. But we need to confess first. Would you examine your life today, examine your life this past week, and then move to God in confession of your own sin, your own personal sin? Take responsibility for where you have not obeyed God or where you have disobeyed him on purpose. Let's pray. Father above, I think maybe our confession time is not long enough, and I just have to admit my own sin and confess my own sin. Lord, I, I see where I have messed up and where I have fallen short, where I've taken the things that you have given us that we're supposed to enjoy, and I've perverted and used those things for my own selfish desires in a way that is unholy and not good for our community. Lord, I confess to you where I've rebelled and disobeyed and I've rebelled and not obeyed what you've commanded me to do. Lord, on behalf of our church, I stand and make a confession for all of us. We confess as a church that we have not obeyed your commands to go and make disciples. We have not obeyed your command to feed the poor. We have not obeyed the command to open up our homes to those in need. 
We confess to you that we fall short. We confess to you that we are overwhelmed by all the good things that you have for us to do. And we fall at your feet and ask for mercy. We ask that you would fulfill your promise that you will not bring wrath and judgment on us. You won't give us what we do deserve, but you will give us mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, following a confession prayer where we have to rely on God's mercy, that's the down part of the gospel. Gospel's two parts, too. We're going to talk about that in just a second. There's the down part where we realize that we have fallen short, and then there's the up part. We move right into thanksgiving. We get to thank God that he sent Jesus Christ to fulfill all the places where we have failed, to obey all the places that we have not obeyed. And we get to thank God for Jesus Christ who was perfect in his obedience and he covers us over with that righteousness. He gives us forgiveness because of his death on the cross. And then because he was raised from the dead, we now have eternal life granted to us. Why don't we just thank God? See, this is different from adoration. Adoration is we applaud God for who he is, and thanksgiving is we thank God for what he has done. Paul, in Romans 1, he had gratitude, he was grateful to God for the faith of the believers in Rome, and he prayed for that, those church members in Rome, all these little house churches. He was praying thankfulness for them. Let's do two parts of thankfulness. Let's first Thank God in our minds for Jesus Christ who gives us forgiveness from our, con- com- from our confession part. When, I, when, I, when I'm praying through scripture and I take whatever passage of scripture it is and I look at what it tells me to do, because most passages of scripture, there is something to do from them. There's either a command implicit or explicit for something for me to do. And as I pray through that passage, I realize Almost every time that I don't do whatever I'm commanded to do perfectly, I have instant confession prayers every day when I read the Bible. And I have instant thanksgiving prayers every day when I read the Bible because Jesus has covered for me where I failed. So let's thank God for Jesus. And then why don't we pray a thank you for the church members that are sitting around us? When's the last time you were grateful for church members and you told God about it? So you can pray for the people on your right or left. I know for some of our spouses that's more difficult than others. Maybe you can pray for the person one seat over from you. But we're thanking God for the people around us. So thank God for Jesus. And then sometimes spend time thanking God for the people around you. We are the body of Christ. God works through us to bring people to salvation, to allow people to know about Jesus. We believe that every person deserves the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to know God, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit in loving and and kindness and forgiveness, to be changed inside from their character, to be more like Jesus Christ, to have eternal significance. It happens, God says, through the church, the people, the individuals, the groups, not so much the preacher, but the people in the pews. 
Let's thank God for Jesus in prayer and then thank God for the people around us. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that Jesus willingly came and gave his life for us, laid down his life for us, and then took it up again so that we might be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be granted a child of God in the family of God. Thank you. And now, Lord, we thank you for the family of God, this community of believers of faith We thank you for the people that show up on Sunday and they sing praise to you, teaching us doctrine by their singing, encouraging us by their faith, loving on us in service, reminding us of the good news that we have received in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the people around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and now supplication. We need to ask God to prepare a way. This specifically today, would you ask God to prepare a way for you to tell either a family member or a friend about Jesus Christ? We all have family members who are far from the Lord. Our job, we'll talk about this a lot in just a second. Our job is just to tell them about Jesus. Tell them the story of Jesus. It is amazing to me that this happens I know from Scripture that it says people who are not spiritually minded do not understand spiritual things. And I know for a fact that some people, they hear the gospel, they hear the good news of Jesus, they hear about Jesus' death and resurrection, and it never sinks in. It never computes, it never clicks, it never connects. And then all of a sudden, someday it connects, and they say something like, I've never heard that before. And you know you know that they've heard it before. You know that they've been to church with you before. You know that they've seen something that gave them about Jesus, but for some reason their unspiritual, dead-in-sin mind did not hear it. So we need to ask God to prepare a way that we would just tell them one more time, that we would just talk about Jesus one more time, and that God prepares a way for their eyes to be opened, their ears to hear, and their hearts to be moved by the seeds of faith that we are planting and watering, would you ask God to prepare a way? And then maybe have a picture of that friend or family member in mind. Let's pray. Lord, we have somebody in mind, that person, that family member, that friend that is far from you. We can see their face. We can see their smile. Lord, we know them and we love them. And we believe that they should have the opportunity to know you. We believe they should have the opportunity 
to be transformed by your love and forgiveness, by your grace. We believe they should have the opportunity to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to change in their character, to be like Christ. We believe they should have the opportunity to have eternal significance. So Lord, we ask that you would prepare a way, open up one more opportunity for us to just to tell the story about Jesus, for us to give the testimony about what our church is doing, serving in love and making a difference in our community and all over the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. A new friend of mine who is preparing to be baptized in a couple of weeks and is going to join the church. Um, I was meeting with him last week and we were talking about the good news of Jesus. And he said, I've never heard it that way before. And maybe, maybe, I mean, there's a small chance that I explained it in a new way that he's never heard it before. But the story of Jesus isn't that new and different. Jesus died. Jesus rose again to save us from our sins. I, I, there's a small chance. I might have explained it a way that he's never heard it before. But I think the reality is his eyes are being opened. His heart is being opened to spiritual things. And he's starting to understand the spiritual things of God. You know, but with a PSA, it's supposed to, the more you know, it's supposed to change our behavior and attitudes that always has some catchy tagline, prayer. The amount of time you spend in prayer reveals how much you actually care. Something you can take with you. Something that might change your attitude and behavior where you start spending more time in prayer, not only privately, but also together with other believers. That's the first, prayer. The second is share. Share is also two parts. Paul wants to share their faith and also share in the harvest. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Paul wants the people of God to share their faith with one another and then share in the harvest. Sharing their faith, that's kind of a weird thing for us to think about. I think it's in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is preaching to such a large crowd, they've crammed together under one room in the house. And the people who want to get to him cannot get to him because it's so crowded. They have a friend of theirs that's paraplegic, can't move. So they've decided to bring him to Jesus. They know, they believe that Jesus can heal their friend. They can't get there. And the story goes that they climb up on the roof. And the, the people in Israel, they had flat roofs that they often went on top of. And then they begin to dig through the roof. Can you imagine the crowd around Jesus hearing what sounds like giant raccoons? Does Israel have raccoons? On the roof, and all of a sudden the roof starts parting. And can you imagine they look up and all of a sudden they're lowering their friend on a mat in before Jesus because they believe Jesus can heal their friend. The scripture says when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man who could not move. Their faith. We share faith with one another. 
We share our faith with one another. When I am going through a struggle and a downtime, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to come around me and remind me of the goodness of God. I don't see it when I'm in pain as much. When I'm hurting, I can only focus in on my pain a lot of times. And I need the faith of others to come around me to lift me up and encourage me. When you're going through a hard spot, you need people around you and you need to lean on their faith so that you can be encouraged too. But that's the beauty of the church. When we gather around and show we care and show up be present and pray for one another, we, our faith, encourages someone else. Paul says he wants to come to Rome, he wants to be around the other Christians, and he wants to give them a spiritual gift. That is, share faith with one another so they can be mutually lifted up. Paul has seen and done things, believing in the power of God, that they haven't seen or done. And the Roman church, the people of God there in Rome, had seen and done things by faith that Paul hadn't done. And when they get together, they talk about what God is doing and what they have seen God do, and their faith is mutually encouraged and lifted up. Part of the reason we gather together is we believe everybody ought to have the opportunity to know God, but part of the reason is our faith, when we talk about what God is doing, mutually encourages each other. When we gather together, it's an encouragement to people around us. When we sing praise to God, it not only gives praise to God, it not only sings the doctrine because we make sure our songs follow what the Bible teaches, but it also encourages the people around us. When we take communion together, that's an example of a testimony of faith that we believe Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. His blood covers us and his body took our sin and he's going to come back and get us. When we are together serving in love, which we're going to talk about a lot next week, when we give testimonies about how the church has been the church and we served other people in our congregation, the other members of the church in love, we showed up at their house and we loved on them. We did work orders, and people showed up and did those work orders. When we do that, our faith mutually encourages one another. This is so important. That's one of the reasons why we keep meeting together, because we get to encourage and lift each other's spirits. Attending church is not the point. Gathering together to share faith and encourage each other is why we attend church, why we gather together. We can do a lot. I think this is why some people are leaving the church. They have come to church, they've attended, and they've done activities that are good. They're good activities, but they had no point to them. They couldn't see the point. Like, what is the point, they say, of learning all this history about the Bible? What is the point about getting up every Sunday morning when I could sleep in? What is the point about trying to meet together when I have no contact with them any other time? There is a point. The why behind it is we're supposed to share our faith together and encourage each other. And we're not supposed to come to church to be spoon-fed by the preacher one day a week Here's what the Bible says. You're supposed to come to church to praise God and serve one another by sharing your faith. That's why we sing. 
praise God and share our faith. That's why we take communion. It's this public testimony that encourages each other. That's why we find out a little bit about the people sitting next to us, and then we pray for them. What have you made it your goal? What have you made it your goal? Your goal would be to come to the gathering of believers and find out one thing about somebody around you that you could end up praying for them the entire week for that, and then you come back and you ask them, how's that going? Because I've been praying for you all week. What have you made that your one goal and your reason to gather as believers? Do you know how much, am I allowed to say crap from the stage? You know how much crap we can get rid of if we just made that our goal to attend church? We would no longer have music wars because you didn't gather together to hear the song that you like best. You gather together so you could find out about one person beside you that you could pray for all week. You wouldn't worry about whether I was preaching as good as some of the celebrity preachers. I got to tell you, I don't. If you want to hear some good sermons, I love Timothy Keller and Andy Stanley and Bob Russell and Dave Stone and Kyle Eidelman and uh, Mark Dever and John Piper. I love these preachers, and I think they're a lot better than me. Oh, man, if I could only be as passionate as Francis Chan, if I could only be as biblical as John MacArthur... If I could only be as visionary as Arthur Merkel. No joke. The man was a visionary. He did things with this church that had never been done in the church world before when he planted this church. It was awesome. I have his notes that he gave to the elders where they had the elders meetings. Visionary. I'm never going to be as visionary as him. I'm never going to be as good a communicator as Andy Stanley. But if you show up to find out one thing, you can pray for somebody else, then my sermons don't look so bad. Because you've come for the right purpose. See, this PSA is to change our behavior and attitude. It's one to grow on. The more you know. And knowing is half the battle. Only you can prevent church burnout. You do it by showing up to pray for one. Somebody write that down. That's going to be our PSA statement. See, when we show up and we share our faith, it just changes the people around us. And then you know what? People outside the church, they start coming into the church because they see your love. And they see the change that God has done. That's why Paul says, I want to share with you the harvest like I have done at other churches. He said, when I went to other churches and we started those churches, they didn't just show up to attend, they showed up to be the church. They started praying for one another, and all of a sudden there was a harvest. That first church in, in, in Acts, it started off with 3,000, that's a pretty big number. But then the community all around Jerusalem, they kept seeing the change that was going on inside of the people. They kept seeing their faith explained and showed. They kept seeing the Holy Spirit's power. They kept seeing love and forgiveness. And it says daily people were added to their number. What if you changed the reason you came to church? You would be part of the harvest too. PSA statement. When we step up, 
and stop attending church and instead look and act like the church will we'll be part of the harvest. Boy, that doesn't rhyme or worse. I like it better. Only you can prevent church burnout. Let's do that one. So we pray privately and publicly, transformed internally and ask God's hand to move. And we share our faith so that we can share in the harvest. And finally, we need to announce. This phrase here, preach the gospel, is actually just one word in the Greek. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. That's our word for evangelism. It just means announce the good news. We need to announce the good news. Gospel just means good news. Evangelion is announcing good news. Let me read it that way. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to announce the good news also to you who are in Rome. Paul was sending a letter to people who had already heard the gospel, they had already committed themselves to Christ, and Paul wants to come tell them the good news about Jesus again. Why? Why do we need to hear the good news again? We need to hear it every time we get together. If you're involved in a Bible study and you never talk about Jesus and what he has done, you need to ask your teacher very quietly, maybe in secret, maybe behind the scenes, maybe send him or her text, say, hey, uh, we're not talking about Jesus enough. We do need to hear the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. If we start feeling too high about ourselves and start feeling too good about ourselves, we start thinking we're better than other people, we remember that Jesus Christ died because of my own sin. Man, that, doesn't that bring me down to about thinking correctly about myself? But if I still feel too low and feel like a failure and I'm never going to succeed and I can't overcome and I can't fight this anymore, then I need to remember that Jesus Christ died for me because he loved me. He willingly laid down his life for me. Well, I need to preach that to myself every day, and it allows me to think correctly about myself. Timothy Keller says, I love this quote, you are more wicked than you ever dared believe and more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. We need to tell ourselves that every day. But we also need to tell our friends that. We need to talk about Jesus more often in our, in our conversations. Paul was excited about going to those Roman Christians. See, this is just the start of the purpose of the church, the start of the mission of the church. Why? We believe everybody ought to have this opportunity to know God. The only way you know God is through Jesus. We believe everybody ought to have the Holy Spirit transform them from the inside out. The only way the Holy Spirit transforms somebody is if they trust Jesus. We believe everybody ought to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Well, you need to know that he died for you. In fact, that was Paul's gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he just tells the story of Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the good news I preached to you. By this good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached. Verse 3 of, of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to people afterwards, and that he ascended into heaven. This is the good news. See, when Paul says he wants to tell the good news, he wants to just tell the story of Jesus over and over again, because we need to keep hearing it over and over again. 
One of the reasons why we take communion every week is we need to hear the good news over and over again. And communion is the good news in a little cup and bread. And the gospel's two-part. It is the power of God, verse 16, that brings salvation to everyone who believes and reveals the righteousness of God. The power of God to raise someone from the dead, to promise that we will be raised from the dead, to give eternal life, to promise that we have eternal life right now. The same Spirit of power, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit in you now. We need to hear that when we get scared, when we get worried, when we have fear, when we're hurting, and we need to hear it when we have joy, when we're happy and things are going well. And it's the righteousness of God revealed. If you want to know who God is, you have to know Jesus. Philip asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. The righteousness of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ, how much God loves us, how much God loves the world, what God is going to do to rescue us, and who he sent to do it. The righteousness of God. Not that we receive what we deserve, and not that we just don't get what we deserve, mercy, but we get something we don't deserve. We get forgiveness and life. The righteousness of God is revealed. And we need to announce that to everybody. We need to share that with everybody. One of the ways that we announce that to each other is by participating in communion. PSA. The more you know. You're going to see this on TV and you're going to be like, that's what that star meant that Dale had. Would you take out your communion cups? And let's announce to the world that we believe. Let's tell the story of Jesus in action today. Would you take out your bread? When you hold that bread in front of you and remember that on the cross, Jesus' body absorbed your sin. He died for your sin. Would you participate in the bread? God, we praise you because you are the Savior sinner, sender, Savior sender. We confess to you that we don't talk about Jesus enough in our conversations, and we thank you that Jesus absorbed even that sin into his body. And now, Lord, we ask that you fulfill your promise to us that when we participate in the bread, we're participating in the body of Christ, having our sins taken away. Would you take out your cup? Scripture says when we participate in the cup, we're participating in the blood of God. His blood washes us clean from all sin. Would you participate in the cup? Lord, thank you for covering over our sin as far as the depth of the ocean and knowing that our sin, whatever is covered by the blood of Christ, will never be exposed for judgment. 
or obligation or payment because Jesus' blood paid that debt we owed. Lord, we thank you for this expression of our faith, this unification of the body of Christ with the body and blood of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would just allow it to spiritually change our attitude and behavior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. PSA, the more time you spend in prayer reveals how much you care. Only you can prevent church burnout. But the gospel, oh, the gospel, so important. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, reveals that we are far more wicked than we ever dare believe. And yet we are loved and accepted by Jesus Christ more than we ever dared to hope. It is such good news. I hope you take this prayer and share and announce this PSA, this public service announcement from Paul to us in the scripture and allow it to change your attitude and behavior. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.